Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host. This week, I'm going to reflect on the recent podcast interview that I had. I was interviewed on The Shrimp Tank, and they asked me what was the biggest issue that founders had. And it didn't take me any time to answer that question. In fact, recently in uh, episode 51, I talked about risk. And in that same show, they asked me about risk. He said, uh, do you remember what episode 51 was, was risk? And I'm going to admit, I completely forgot. And you know why? It's because I was on camera, somebody had asked me, and insert oneself, you get stressed, and you just don't think well. And that is, in fact, a kind of risk. Your business, and when you have a startup, and you are running all the time, you can get off track very easily. And you can have a stressful moment where you just don't think well, you don't think properly. So that's a kind of risk. And it's that stupid human trick that often causes us problems. And in fact, when they said, hey, Phil, what do you know about startup and founders? What's the biggest risk that they face? What's the biggest problem that startup founders face? And it's very, very simple. It's stupid human tricks. It's confirmation bias. And what does that mean, confirmation bias? It's simply put, when you believe in your idea so passionately that you believe everybody else is wrong, and you're going to teach them what they need and what they're going to build. In fact, you're just going to go show them by building a piece of software so they know exactly what you're doing, how you're building it, and how it's going to make their lives easier. That's a kind of confirmation bias where you think you know better than the other 7 billion people on the planet that you have a perfect recipe for getting something done. And it often happens by somebody saying, hey, what do you think of my great new MVP, my great product? And people will invariably say, wow, that's really nice. Did you spend a lot of time on it? What did you do? How did you come up with the idea? They ask you all sorts of questions and things. And the entrepreneur says, oh, great. I just heard somebody tell me what they want, that they really want this product. Or it happens in other ways. It's, it's very common for us to say, hey, what do you think to this feature? Do you like this feature or do you like that feature? And people will immediately answer one feature over the other. Better questions are things like, why do you do, what software do you use? How do you use that software to do your job? What, what's, what do you need your job to do? And really drill into the very details of what you're trying to get solved. And, it, and it's time and time again, I've seen this. Entrepreneurs are phenomenal at imagining a future. For example, Imagine you were you were back in the 50s and you were reading Dick Tracy comic books. And you can Google that or YouTube that did that if, if you don't know what Dick Tracy is. But 
suffice to say, he was a spy. He wore a trench coat. He was very dapper and had a hat, but he had some cool technology for the 50s. He had this thing called a watch, and it was a telephone watch. Well, if you had said, I'm going to build in the 50s, I'm going to build a company, and it's going to be a telephone watch, and people are going to love it, they're going to say, of course I want it. I want it now. You know, But the technology wasn't even ready to do it. Other people would have said, oh, you're just crazy. That's a comic book. There's no way we're going to have a telephone on our wrist and we're going to be able to call anybody in the world and communicate. But the iWatch shows that you can have that. It's absolutely possible. Almost 70 years later, after Dick Tracy was first penned to paper in the comic book, but that's the thing about entrepreneurs. You may be right at some distant future. But what's possible today? How do you get it done? And will your customers actually buy it or use it? That's confirmation bias. And the other thing about confirmation bias is so pervasive that we often don't even realize that we're doing it. I had a person come to me not too long ago. They had invented um, some uh, technology uh, I have actually several clients that are experimenting with augmented reality. Augmented reality is a technology allows you to add additional information on a telephone or on eyeglasses. And so you can see extra information on top of reality. And so hence augmented reality. Both of those companies are doing it in a very different way and they're trying to solve different problems. Both of them are convinced that augmented reality is the solution. Well, the augmented reality isn't the solution. It's the technology looking for a problem to solve. And so the way to solve that is to go talk to your actual customer, see them doing their actual work at the actual time they're supposed to be doing it when they're having problems with their work. You try to see how did you solve that problem? Why did you do it that way? Everybody has a job that they need to have done in asking them how they got the job done, how it makes them feel is really critical to figuring out confirmation bias. One of the techniques that is used for confirmation bias is Elon Musk has made first principles famous. And first principle is going back to the most basic of assumptions that you have about your product. For example, in the case of the augmented reality, we would ask the question, what is augmented reality? What does the customer really want to see in the augmented space, in that extra? What other information do they want? Why do they want that information? How often do they want that information? Where do they want that information? All the time in a specific set location. You start drilling down to the most basic of assumptions, the first principles, to then build up your picture of what the customer wants. Let me expand upon this a little bit more because this concept of first principles is very hard to get your head around if you just go about your regular work and you say, hey, I've built a product. How do I really drill down to the most basic of items? Imagine that you are working for a company and you've hired, a, you've, you've, you're the CEO and you've hired a new employee. And that new employee 
seems to have a problem getting to work on time. They're always late. And one way you'd say, hey, how do you solve that problem? That's a problem. And how are we going to solve it? One way that many people would do is say, well, gee, just get up earlier, set your alarm. And it's a bias that they have immediately to converge what's called convergent thinking, to converge to the idea that the best way to get to work is to just fix the time and get to get up early so that you have enough time to get to work every day on time. That's a type of bias. It might be appropriate in some times to solve it through that way. But when you go back to first principles, you'd ask the question, what's causing me to be late? Oh, maybe it's the distance. Well, maybe I can move to get closer to work. That's a different way to solve that problem. Another thing says, hey, I have to start at a certain time. Do I have to start at a certain time? Or do I have a job that's that's able to be flexible and I don't need to be there and I can negotiate a different start time. Perhaps there's a way to um, do work super, like pre-do the work so that you can do the work the night before. And it doesn't matter if you get to work late because you've already done the work that you needed to be done. You shift the time that you do work. When you start thinking about all the ways that time and work interact, that begets more divergent thinking and it takes it apart. So bringing it back to this question about what do founders often have a problem with? And that is this confirmation bias. When they ask people what's going on, they immediately think about what the solution should be, what the customer will answer, how they will answer. So whatever your most fundamental thing that you're trying to solve for, assume you're wrong. That makes a great hypothesis. People will use my software because it helps them do this. And you might say it the exact opposite. People won't use my software because they're already happy doing it the other way. And if they're happy doing it the other way, that's true. They won't use your software. But if they're unhappy, then they might look for a new solution. Doesn't mean that they'll use your solution. They might look for something new. And then you start asking them, what would they look for? How would they look for? So that's a way to really drill down into confirmation bias and get to the root cause of what's happening. There's some very famous examples of confirmation mark uh, bias, and it shows up in all sorts of ways. And I'll give this example of a very large company, uh, DeWalt, and DeWalt makes some, a, some very high-end or very robust, bright yellow construction equipment. And they started in the marketplace by taking this equipment and putting it on construction web, construction sites. And the construction workers got to try the tools, they liked the tools, they wanted to go out, and they shared the information with other people, and they were built very rugged for the American construction site and construction worker. Today, you can go to any Home Depot, Lowe's, those places, and certainly see DeWalt there. But they wanted to expand into China, so they decided to do the exact same thing because, of course, they were right. They had a confirmation bias that they knew how to launch a product into a new country, and that was take the, take the product, 
drive to a, a construction site, put these drills and saws uh, at the site, let the construction workers use them, and that's that's the way to do it. Well, guess what? They put those products on the construction site. Uh, the workers looked at them, they tried them out, and then they stopped using them. And the company had to go, what? They had to stop. They'd wasted a lot of money on doing this, and the construction workers were not using the new tools. Why? Well, generally speaking, the Chinese construction worker is physically smaller than the American counterpart construction worker. So the tools that they had made that fit perfectly for the American worker did not fit their hand and sizes of the Chinese worker. So that's a very very precise example of a confirmation bias. They knew what they 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 thought they knew what they were doing, and they didn't they didn't go back to the basic principle. What does the customer want? The customer wants a tool that they can use well, and it meant that it had to be sized appropriately for the average size of the population. In this case, the Chinese population. Confirmation bias shows up all the time. The best way to solve it is to really think about your think about what you're doing and challenge all your perceptions. And the only way to do that is to practice it. And by practicing, that means when you make a statement and you say, I think the customer wants this, you go, don't use the word I think. Figure out how that you can test it, scientifically test it with some uh, talking to people and say, I know that this is what people do. And please, please do not, and when we say test it, do a science experiment, do not do a survey. Don't send out a survey and say, would you do this? No, you need to go visit the actual customers that might be using your product or your service and talk to them in a way that just asks them what their pains are. Don't do surveys because it's, they'll always, they'll always give you part of the answer and not all of the answer. You need to see that person. An example of the Black & Decker, if you send out a survey, they would say, of course I love equipment. Of course I like power drills and power sanders and power saws. And you would get confirmation bias through this great survey. But until you actually saw a person trying to use this oversized drill, you wouldn't understand that. So confirmation bias begins with solving it for the most basic of things, testing everything. For those of you building software, that means starting with low fidelity wireframes, giving a wireframe to somebody, seeing how they can use it, and testing whether or not they would or would not use that. Uh, for those of you for physical product, the same thing. How can you make the most simple of physical products, a mock-up, a prototype in a cheap, inexpensive way? It doesn't have to actually work. It might just be a mock-up and uh, what it might look like. And those of you building websites where you can build the click funnels and people pay, people click on different things and they say, yes, I want this feature or I want that solution where you just describe it. Uh, that's a way that you can prototype uh, your software early. But back to the main at hand, don't ever send out surveys, talk to your actual customer and ask, why do you do that? Five whys all the time, get into the things, challenge yourself, 
don't fall prey to confirmation bias. I hope that this has given you some food for thought this week. Please share this episode with another founder so they too can shorten their journey. I'm Phil Topham, the savvy founder. Please leave a five-star review. If you need to talk to me, go on the website. I've got my link tree on the show notes. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your business and personal lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.